The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for this Monday night as we head into the last Monday night of the June part of the Major League Baseball season. Next week when we get together with you, it will be July the 3rd. And July the 4th, of course, follows that. And a lot of things happen in Major League Baseball around then. And when it gets to be July, not only does the weather seem to get hotter, but so do the pennant races. And we're going to be talking about that and more on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight. But... To talk about the Reds and the Indians, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, about the Reds. Mark, how are you this evening? Very good, Dave. Even though the Reds are are, are losing uh, and are losing ground in the central, uh, I guess things could be worse. Uh, at least the, the Reds are making some inroads on adding some talent to the roster. We, we can talk about it in a few minutes, but... Uh, you know, I, I think the, the the main discussion today is what happened to the Indians over the weekend. Boy, it was not pretty. They played three games against Minnesota this weekend at home. Minnesota is really an enigma because the Twins play over 600 on the road and under 400 at home. It's hard to believe that this team is in first place, the Twins are, by just a half a game over the Indians, and that's because the Indians have lost one more than the Twins. The Tribe are 39 and 35 heading into tonight's action. Minnesota 39 and 34. But, Mark, when you only score two runs in three games, you're not going to win a lot of ball games. It doesn't matter how good your starting pitching is. Yeah, that's surprising, and you know it'll be interesting to see what this front office does compared to a few years ago. You remember the the Indians at at the midway point? I think it was three or four years ago, uh, and you and I concluded, and, and I think everybody agreed, they needed another hitter, and they refused to go out and get a, a, a Cruz or somebody like that that could have really, at that point in time made a difference in what that team did. They opted not to do anything in terms of adding offense, and I think it cost them the division. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this year if this team is still getting the kind of pitching that it's getting so far this year, and they are not scoring. Let's let's say this continues for another month, and the offense is in the dumps. Do you think this administration is willing to go out there and spend the money required to to make this team competitive going into the last three months of the season. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. I think one of the things that you brought up earlier today when we talked a little bit was that this division is one, the American League Central, that you have to win it. The, the wild card in the American League is not going to come out of the American League Central this year. That's just a, a, a fait accompli. It's not going to happen. So you're going to have to win the AL Central. I, I am not a big buyer on the Twins. The team that I'm a buyer of right now 
is the Kansas City Royals, mainly because they've been a great team over the last three seasons. This year's team lost their closer. They lost their setup man. But they've got basically a team, Mark, that won the World Series two years ago. And they've got the same team. And if they look at this situation, Mark, and they see they're only two and a half games out come July, the end of July, are they going to be buyers or are they going to be sellers? I would say that they're going to be sell- they're going to be buyers. I agree with you. I think Kansas City, looking at the rosters, and and you know when it when a team makes the change, in other words, when Houston started winning, when the Cubs started winning. You, you you could see a, a trend that they were going to get better and better and better, and 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 then all of a sudden they were good. <laughs> they, they they go out and win a World Series. Uh, and, and Kansas City, uh, they've maintained, as you said, a, a very strong roster. And you look at their roster compared to Minnesota. Well, I think they're a better team on paper, at least. The only thing that's different about Kansas City this year than two years ago is their bullpen, and their bullpen is lights out. You know, for for several years in a row, there up to their World Series championship, but that that is not the case. And yet, that team, they're very fundamental. Uh, they have good team speed. They play good, good defense. They've got a solid bullpen. They get good starting pitching. Uh, and if they they have a weak spot, maybe it's offense again. But you know, it's a lot easier to go out there and find a hitter or two at the All Star break to help your team than it is to go get a starting pitcher to get starting pitching, number one, it's going to be cheaper. <laughs> and number two, uh, starting pitching is, is always iffy. And no matter who you get, you bring in, you know, they only play every five days. So you can go out and get a hitter who can you can put into your lineup, and they can make a big contribution to your team. So, you know, the Indians have the hardest part done. They've got a very good bullpen. They've got a excellent starting pitching. And if all they are, is a hitter short, I think this organization will go out there and get whoever they can get. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I know the general consensus up in Cleveland right now is that they need another starting pitcher because Danny Salazar has been up and down, Josh Tomlin has been up and down, Trevor Bauer has been up and down, Clevenger, of course, he's been up and down. They're bringing up Ryan Merritt this weekend to pitch in Game 2 of a doubleheader on Saturday against Detroit. And speaking of doubleheaders, you know, this afternoon, the Reds played a makeup game with the St. Louis Cardinals at Bush Stadium. And this is a one-game in-and-out against St. Louis. And what really drives me crazy about this, Mark, is the fact that this is not an American League team. This is not a team like the Indians, that they've got to make up a game coming up the early part of July. They're just going to fly into Cleveland and fly out, play the one game, and get out of there. This is a divisional foe. This is a team that they're going to face another 15 or 16 times this year. This is not the last trip that they're making into St. Louis. This is just an excess trip that they've got to make. Mark, why didn't they schedule this game as a day-night doubleheader down the road? This was supposed to be a day off for the Reds, and instead of a day off, they're playing this game, and now they don't have a day off for another two weeks, so... Why in the world did Major League Baseball, the Reds, and the Cardinals get together and schedule this game this afternoon? Uh, obviously, I don't have the answer to that. I'm sure it has something to do with economics in some way. Uh, but the Reds only have one more trip into St. Louis. That's in September. Uh, 
And so maybe they were afraid they couldn't get it in at that time, uh, but they didn't want to lose the date. And today is Bobblehead Day. They, the Cardinals are smart. They rescheduled this game and made it Bobblehead. So they have almost a sellout on a day that wasn't even in their schedule, you know, during this rainout. So the Cardinals uh, taking advantage of the interest in that in that team, and uh, you know it's 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 all about money, Dave. It's how many. It's funny. I was looking at the pregame show uh, a couple days ago, the Reds pregame show. I think it was on Saturday, and it's a half hour pregame show. And I noticed at one point they had run fourteen commercials in a row, fourteen wow. in a row, and I counted them. And sometimes they run seven or eight or nine, but this one particular time, 14. That's a 30-minute show of which probably, I don't know, 15 minutes clearly are are ads. <laughs> so it gets back to our, our almost weekly discussion about people who want to, you know, shorten the length of games. Here's a hint. Why don't you take out about 25 or 30 commercials, and your game would be two hours and, and 30 minutes, not three hours and 10 minutes. Mark? Marty Brenneman was talking about it this weekend with one of the guys that does the ball games with him. And now that I'm down here and listening to Reds games with more regularity, I am shocked at the number of people that WLW puts in the booth with Marty Brenneman. And when Marty's gone, you never know who's going to be doing the game. It, it, it could be anybody doing the game on WLW and the Reds network. But nonetheless, they were talking about this. And one of the things that baseball has brought up, is that they're going to limit the amount of trips to the mound by anybody. It could be a shortstop, it could be the catcher, it could be the pitching coach, it could be the manager, to just five a game. And once you get to five, you're no longer allowed to go out to the mound. They're tinkering too much with the game. They're, they're getting to the point where they are starting to hurt the integrity of the game of baseball. Well, a couple of points you brought up, I'd like to revisit. You're absolutely right about making changes like that without making some fundamental changes that would speed up the game, and it always comes down to revenue and commercials. That's that, that's the thing that is driving this. I, in fact, I, I listened to a Reds game from, I think it was 1965 or 64, I think. They have it on, on YouTube. And the, the game was two hours and 28 minutes or two hours and 18 minutes. I, I, but I, they played the whole game, including commercials. And the commercials lasted about a, a minute and a half between innings. And it, it's so different now. Even when they come back after a two-and-a-half-minute commercial between innings, they would have – this is as recently as yesterday – they would have 15-second uh, spots during the inning. So it's it's really a never-ending series of commercials, and uh, I don't know why you couldn't charge a little more to the t to the sponsors and have fewer of them. If you really want to shorten the game and you're concerned about revenue, there are teams, there are companies that would pay a little more, and there'd be a fewer list of sponsors. And I, you know, I get up and walk away. I don't listen. I don't sit there. I don't know who does. You sit there for two and a half minutes and listen to commercials. I I, I don't. I could have no. to do something else. Yeah, and and that's what, you know, a lot of people do that. As a matter of fact, you know, during the NBA playoffs, I did it. I got tired of it, walked away from the TV, didn't want to watch the game anymore. NFL, that happens. I think the stupidest timeout in the, in the history of television is the timeout that the NFL has after the kickoff following a touchdown. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the craziest timeout I think I have ever seen, and then you finally come back. It's not just so bad, Mark, for the people watching the game on the TV, but it's also bad for the ticket the ticket buyers who go to the game and they sit there and do nothing and twiddle their thumbs for two and a half minutes. Hey, Dave, on a different note, uh, I've thought this for a long time, and uh, you mentioned Marty Brenneman, and Marty has been an institution uh, in Cincinnati for a long time. I think he came up in 1974 uh, with the Reds, and he's been around for a long time. Very controversial guy, and I've always sided on Marty's side. But as he gets older and older and maybe more cantankerous, some of the stuff he says on the air now is it's just really it irritates me, and you know I've heard from more than one person close to the Reds that he's persona non grata with the players, and that they don't like Marty, they don't like his comments. But he made a comment the other day about Joey Votto that if I was Joey Votto, I'd never talk to him again. He said it on the air, and the situation was the Reds were down, uh, I think three or four runs. And Joey Votto hit a line drive down the right field line. It was against the Dodgers. And Yasiel Puig, Puig uh, the ball was underneath the, the mat, so it was going to be a ground rule double. So uh, Marty was complaining because Joey did not attempt to go to third. In other words, he kind of cruised into second base. Well, they, they were right. down. They were down by three or four runs, so you don't want to make the first out at third base, which is a cardinal rule in baseball. There was nobody out. And Puig had already thrown somebody out at home. And so Marty then just rips Joey. And he said, well, you know, it was the day they interviewed Pete Rose. He said, you know, if that was Pete, Pete would have been on his way to third base. And he said, that's the problem with some of these high-paid players. And he just goes off on a tangent on, on Joey Votto. I, I I don't know what he's thinking of. Just just to he, he doesn't like Votto. It's very clear he never has anything positive to say about Votto, who's one of the best players in baseball, one of the greatest hitters in the history of, of the Reds of the Reds. And it, it's just amazing to me that he says this stuff and and gets away with it. And, and nobody said anything. The only thing that that I noticed was Jeff Brantley, who was you know the guy doing the broadcast with him. He didn't say anything. He just kept quiet. And to me, that was a a knock on Marty, like, hey, Marty, I'm not going to back that up. That's ridiculous. So anyway, it's I think it's time you know, that Marty may look to do something else in life because the stuff he says about the players sometimes, if I was a player, I wouldn't talk to him again. Well, coming from a guy that was basically dismissed for questioning why a man with a concussion was playing in a high school basketball game down by 11 points with 30 seconds to go in the game. you got to kind of wonder sometimes what is going through the head of play-by-play announcers. Now, I did not hear what Marty said, but I know when you're watching the game and you and, and you see something unfold before your eyes and you kind of wonder, you know, as far as what has happened. You know, there are times, Mark, where I look at, what some of the players do, and these unwritten rules. You know, I've understood the unwritten rules for years, but you and I have gotten into discussions before about these players, they, I don't want to say that they're babied, but in all honesty, they are. You know, I called you up the other day, and we talked about one thing that Marty discussed, 
and a game that the California Angels and the Boston Red Sox played back in the 1970s. And Nolan Ryan faced Louis Tiant. And Nolan it was a 15-inning ball game, Mark. Nolan Ryan in that ball game, one of the great pitchers of our time, threw 235 pitches in 13 innings and struck out 13 in the game, including Cecil Cooper, who went 0 for 6 in the ball game and struck out all six times against Nolan Ryan. But that overshadowed the game that Louis Tiant pitched that afternoon, Mark. And Louis Tiant went the entire 15 innings, but for some reason nobody kept the pitch count that Louis Tiant had. <laughs> and in that game, you just figure four pitches per batter over 15 innings. He had to throw over 280 pitches in a complete game. You don't find guys anymore in Major League Baseball that throw 280 pitches in a month. And I'm talking starting pitchers. You know, you've said over the last uh, couple years, you've mentioned more than once, that you thought these these pitchers were babied and they you know they weren't giving they weren't given a chance to go out there and throw 80 90 100 125 pitches in a game and it was very interesting what Brian Price said in an interview I think it was Saturday after uh and I guess it was Sunday uh, after uh Homer Bailey got absolutely lit up by Washington in an 18 to 3 loss I think he gave up eight runs in an inning and two thirds and somebody asked, he said, well, do you think it's because, you know, he's coming back from the DL and, you know, he, maybe he wasn't, re- you know, and Brian cut him off and said, look, this is the big leagues. I am sick of people defending these pitchers because they come up here and they should be ready to pitch. And if they're not ready to pitch, they know better than anybody. They know more than the doctors if they're ready to pitch. And for them to come up here and then, you know, an effort like that, it's it's ridiculous, and if he's not ready, he should say he's not ready. But to go out there in a major league match, he goes on and on and on, and he blasted Homer Bailey. And and I was really happy to say that, and it's hear that. So, you know, Brian Price is a, is a, is a former pitching coach, and he knows pitching as well as anybody. But, you know, Homer Bailey, he has been I, – I can't remember in the history of the Cincinnati Reds and maybe there is one, I can't remember a worse signing or extension of a contract than that of Homer Bailey. Maybe you can think of one. But $100 million, and this Dave, this guy is four games over 500 with a 418 ERA in his career, and he signed a $100 million contract. Who was drinking what when they signed Mark, this guy? When he signed that contract, if you recall the starting rotation that the Reds had, he was the number four starter in that rotation. That's right. You're absolutely right. And to give that guy that amount of money, uh, and plus he's, again, this is all rumor. I have never been in the Reds clubhouse. I have not heard this. But I've heard it from enough people. And, in fact, even the other night, one of the reporters on the Reds broadcast, they came in in the second inning and talked to Marty or whoever the announcer is, and they made some snide com- comment about Homer Bailey coming back, and he said, Oh yeah, we can't wait to get back Mr. Personality. And I've heard that more than once. 
that Homer Bailey is he's sarcastic, he's hard to get along with, he gives lousy interviews, he cusses at reporters, those kinds of things. And, again, maybe you know, you're a Reds fan, maybe not as deeply as I am, but can you can you think of a worse contract the Reds have dealt out, in at least in our history of the Reds? None. Never. Not not at all. Matter of fact, I remember them letting Pete go. You know, we we talk about Pete a lot, but I remember them letting Pete go over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and even in today's dollars, uh, that you know that wouldn't be a lot of money. But uh, what they gave Homer, based on what he had done, the only thing Homer did, he pitched two no hitters, and that has changed his career. Because I think if he had given up one or two hits in both of those games, not gotten the notoriety he got from those no-hitters, then I don't think he would have signed that kind of contract. So I've never a, been a big Homer Bailey fan. Well, uh, nor I. And I don't understand why he uh, he got the Reds organization to give him that kind of deal. Because it it simply was not warranted. And in retrospect, it certainly has proved to be a disaster financially to this team. And he he has two and a half years left on his on his contract, and he's going to be getting eighteen nineteen million dollars a year for the next two years after this year. And what he has done, uh, and I, I don't, you know, you, you can't blame a guy for getting hurt. I'm not doing that. I'm saying that you have to work at this thing, and not ready to pitch. He shouldn't be out there, and you know, it's it's likely not likely, I'm overstating it, it's possible that this guy's career is over. Now, do I blame Homer Bailey because Walt Jockety gave him a $100 million contract? No, I'd take it. But at some point, somebody has to take the blame for that, and I argue that that, that $20 million a year could have gone to, to far more productive players over the last five years than the Homer Bailey. Well, I've got a problem with a lot of the things that the the Reds do, just like I've had a problem with a lot of the things that the Indians do too, Mark. I mean, there, there's been, you know, since the Indians organization seems to have settled down since Shapiro has gone to Toronto. And I know you kind of poo-pooed that when I was thrilled that Shapiro took the Toronto job. If you remember... I was rooting for Shapiro to become the commissioner of baseball because he was in the running for commissioner of baseball before Toronto came knocking on his door wanting him to take over that franchise. Now look at the things that Toronto are going through. You know, yeah, they had a hot streak about a month ago, but now they're back in the doldrums, and Mark Shapiro is not in the mood to do anything because he thinks their payroll is set right exactly where it needs to be. I am not a Mark Shapiro fan. That being said... I'm getting to the point where I'm, I've got to give Dick Williams a chance. This has been another administration's hierarchy for so long. Dick Williams has got to change the culture of the front office. I've got to give Dick Williams a chance as to what it is that he's trying to accomplish with this ball club. That being said, there were some major mistakes that were made by the previous regime that have to be rectified, and they fall right directly in the lap of Dick Williams and the things that he's got to accomplish. And one of them is that Homer Bailey contract. Mark, you and I have discussed this. I think the smartest thing for the Reds to do is to put him in the bullpen 
and let him be the closer or setup man for at least a year. This guy's got to get used to being on the mound in a competitive situation again. He hasn't been in that situation for two years. You know, you, you look at that start, Mark, and it's reminiscent of all the starts that you complained about that Bronson Arroyo made. Only Bailey was throwing the ball faster, I'll give you that. But Bailey got on that mound on Saturday, Mark, and he did not look like, he looked like a guy that hadn't been on the mound for two years, maybe three years, and that he had no idea what was going on out there or how to throw a baseball. Yeah, it was uh, it was a minor league player. It was a, it was an A player against big leaguers. You you could see that he was putting the ball. If he did throw a strike, he was putting it right down the middle of the plate, and he was throwing ninety four, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. That get on Saturday, but if you throw it in the middle of the plate with major league hitters, uh, they're going to nail you, and that's exactly what happened. His breaking ball had no depth to it. Uh, it had no bite. Uh, he, he was he was clearly completely overmatched, and you know you, you're right. I mean, I, I put him in long relief, bring him in the sixth inning of a game. You're down eighteen to three. Let him throw two or three innings. Get get his feet back. I don't understand why they why managers don't do that, or, or at least the Reds managers don't, or the Reds organization. I, I don't know if it's an organizational decision or, or it's Brian Price, but they they've thrown pitchers out there this year that you just knew they were going to get nailed, and, and Bronson Arroyo was the, the best, biggest example. They knew he was going to get pounded, and he did. And the same with Homer Bailey. He wasn't ready. So uh, at, at some point, you, you look at what the decisions are, and you just wonder, are the Reds just you know, going for the draft again? I mean, <laughs> that's maybe that's their plan. Let's lose five or six years in a row. And then maybe we'll win a World Series in 2022. Uh, I, I, I don't understand the logic of it, but uh, it seems to be that's their strategy. Mark, the Indians tonight are at home taking on the Texas Rangers after they lost three straight to Minnesota. Boy, they had a big crowd in every game there this weekend at Progressive Field, and they really laid an egg in front of the hometown crowd. Now they've got the Rangers coming in, and Mike Napoli, who was a big part of them winning the American League Championship a year ago, coming back in with the Rangers, and he got his ring before tonight's game. But, Mark, I guess I've got to ask you, with the doldrums that the Indians have seemed to find themselves in lately, I thought they had snapped themselves out of it about a week ago, but now they're right back into the middle of it. Can one player like a Mike Napoli make that much of a difference to a Major League Baseball team? He's just 125th of the roster. Yes, the answer is yes. And it depends, and it goes beyond statistics. It, it, it goes to what happens in the clubhouse, uh, what happens on the road, in the hotel, in the hotel uh, restaurant, or, or, or just how the personality of, of the team is molded. So in terms of the impact one player can have, yes, it definitely can have that. And, uh, you know, I, I looked at the numbers Napoli put up last year, and I thought Encarnacion would be more than able and capable of matching those numbers. I question whether Encarnacion could replace Napoli that way. And I, I don't think I don't think he has, nor is he capable of doing that. 
And you can't blame Encarnacion for that. That's just not his personality. But, you know, the, the, the fact is that Napoli brought more to that club than just the RBIs and the home runs, which were rather substantial. Yeah, and, and I agree with you that there, that worried me too, because Napoli was a leader on this team. Um, I mean, boy, he, you know, he had the t-shirts, coming out party at Napoli's, and, uh, you know, he was just a big part of the community, went on and on with all of that, and unfortunately, he just has not been the type of guy, or I'm talking about Encarnacion, has not been the type of guy that could take over for Napoli as far as everything else that was going on off of the field. I'm, I'm starting to believe that Napoli was a, a major component, and Rajay Davis maybe was uh, just as big a component of that ball club a year ago because they just don't seem to have the umph, the intestinal fortitude, the the wanting to run through walls in order to win win baseball games. They just don't seem to have that this year. And maybe those two guys are the ones that brought it. Well, there's a lot of things that go. You know, the old saying is that teams have to have good chemistry to win, and I think that's not true. Uh, I think uh, winning creates good chemistry, and uh, the winning comes first, and the chemistry follows. I mean, if you're if you're going out there and winning 100 games, 105 games, you're going to have a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of guys having great years, and that puts people in good moods and all those things. Uh, when things get a little tougher, that's where you have to have that leadership uh, beyond the RBIs and the home runs and the stats uh, to 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 help the team get over those those tough those tough parts of the season. And I look no further than the Chicago Cubs. What's happening to that team this year? Uh, they're, they're not hitting. They're not performing like they did last year. But don't forget, the Indians and the Cubs, they had two large monkeys on their backs. Uh, and those two teams, you know, the great thing about that World Series, is that one of those teams was going to break a very, very long record of not winning a World Series. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was fun to watch. They were, they were jacked up from opening day last year until the last day of the season. And, you know, the Cubs prevailed, but, you know, the Indians had a chance to win that World Series into the seventh game. That's what made it so exciting. But, you know, I think the, the, the difference may in fact be a guy like Napoli who is that intangible difference that a team I think has to have at some level. And if the Indians don't have it this year, you look no further than Mike Napoli to figure out why. Well, it should be interesting to see just how well Napoli's going to play in Cleveland. This is his first trip back since leaving the Tribe and going to the Rangers in the off season. You know, Corey Kluber, he's right back up to his old ways, Mark. He got the American League Player of the Week this week. He was 2-0 and with a 0.00 ERA and 27 strikeouts in two victories this week. So Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco, those are the two guys that the Indians are pinning their hopes on. But, you know, like we said, there's a lot of people in Cleveland that think that the starting rotation is the problem with Salazar complaining a little bit of a sore shoulder. Matter of fact, uh, we're going to talk about this coming up right afterwards, but Brandon Finnegan had to leave today's game with a, a sore arm again also, which is bad news for the Reds. But then you've got... Tomlin, who has been inconsistent. You've got Bauer, who has been inconsistent. You've got Clevenger, 
whom I'm willing to overlook his inconsistencies because he hasn't been up in the major leagues for even a full season. The other two guys, Tomlin and Bauer, have been for the last three years. And on top of that, you've got Ryan Merritt, who's looking at making a name for himself on the major league level, and he'll be up pitching in the second game of a doubleheader on Saturday against the Detroit Tigers. So, Mark, you know, a lot of people think that the starting rotation for the Indians really has vaporized, but they're still anchored by a couple of guys in Kluber and Carrasco that may be the best in baseball. Yeah, I think last year in that World Series, had you had Carrasco, you would have won the World Series. Uh, no, no question in my mind you would have. And uh, that's that's a great one-two punch. And I, I really can't feel sorry for you with that starting rotation. <laughs> uh, even the guys that aren't performing uh, as you wish they were, uh, that is a devastating one-two punch and, and a pretty good backup with Clevenger and Tomlin and those guys. That's That's not a bad rotation. And I think a lot of teams would take that. So I think the the issue with the Indians, I don't think, David, it's necessarily psychological or not having a rah-rah guy. It's not having a guy, uh, you know, number six in your lineup that can hit uh, 280 and hit 37 home runs and drive in some runs because that, that lengthens your lineup out. Uh, that's what they don't have this year. They don't have that, that long, deep lineup. And you're going to find that Encarnacion, I mean, I saw him play for six years with the Reds, uh, he can get as hot as anybody in baseball, and he can get as cold as anybody in baseball. And I didn't follow Napoli that close last year, but to me, he seemed rather consistent the entire year. He was consistent right up until the playoffs, and then he became very inconsistent, which I guess was yeah. consistent. But nonetheless, <laughs> right. you know, hey, we've already talked about Homer Bailey. But, you know, we got to look at Brandon Finnegan and, and the start that he had today where he went three innings against the St. Louis Cardinals and eventually in the fourth had to leave with some upper arm stiffness, which it's going – we might as well start the brigade, Mark. Did the Reds, because of their starting pitching woes this year, rush Bailey and Finnegan back to the majors too quickly? Well, I don't know. That's obviously subjective. You just don't know what is the right time. Again, these guys say they're ready. The manager doesn't force them to go out there. And But it's clear that something is amiss in the Reds organization as it relates to these starting pitchers. You have you have Tony DiStrafani on the DL, Homer Bailey, and now Brandon Finnegan. All three should have been one, two, three starters this year. And they're all probably going to be on the DL again before the end of the year, if they come back at all. And it's possible. You can go through the rest of the year, it's possible, and not see one of these starters back. That is, to me, an organizational issue as much as, as it is a player issue. You can't have three starting pitchers go down like that and not have something being done wrong, whether it's the way they're being rehabbed, what they do in the off season, I can't think of another club that has faced this, where you have three. And last year they had four starting pitchers go down, and and then you look at Bronson Arroyo, he's on the DL now for sixty days, so you have four of your starting rotation that's on the DL from from day one, and, and so it's really, it's really starting to show up in the bullpen, Mark, because. Michael Lorenzen, over the past three weeks, has not pitched well at all. 
He's tired. No. Well, he's tired, and he's a bullhead. You know, again, he's one of those guys who can throw the ball 98 miles an hour, and he does. And he throws it right over the middle of the plate. Don't forget, this guy was not a pitcher or a starter. I mean, he wasn't a full-time pitcher. He played outfield in college. Mm -hmm. And he's a very good outfielder and a very good hitter. But it shows. He doesn't have that finesse uh, that that a lot of the relievers have that come in and, and, you know, know what to do. Uh, the other night he came in, in fact, I think the last three times he's come in, he's given up a home run. And he throws the ball right over the middle of the plate to these guys. And, again, we've said all year, it doesn't matter how hard you throw, a major league hitter will catch up with you. And that's what they do. And the Reds, you know, again, it's to me it's more organizational uh, than, than anything. And I, I don't know how you fix it. Well, they've got to figure out a way to get it fixed because well, and they may not get it fixed during this regular season mark they may not but the, at that point in time what they've got to do is they've got to go out and scour the waiver wire and bring in pitchers that can actually give them some innings for example i've got to ask the question why was robert stevenson on this major league roster for so long and cody reed was laboring down in the minor leagues and pitching well what in the world was the thought behind that? Well, Cody Reed got a shot. He got a shot last year, and he got a shot this year. And he has just not performed. And he, he's wild. He's wild in the zone. Uh, he has, again, his mechanics are terrible. He flies open uh, way too much uh, for, for a left-hand pitcher. And the, the Reds really didn't have much of a... Sh- a, a, a All that being a, said, Mark, he pitched well out of the bullpen. It was when they decided to fill fart around and stick him in the rotation that he screwed up, that he couldn't do it. That's right. That that's right. And but at the bull at the time the bullpen in mass was pitching very very well. Uh, now they, as you said, they've gotten tired. But I think you're going to see in the second half of the year when the the nail is clearly in the Reds' coffin, and I think it is already uh, for 2017. You're going to see a, a significant roster change and bring up some of these young kids that are working their way up. The Reds made a lot of moves this past weekend in, in promoting uh, half a dozen of their younger players. And, and you know, they, they took two people off their, their double-A roster this year and brought them to the major league, something this team does not do normally. And I think you're going to see more than that. Uh, you know, the Reds have to decide, and they have to make some decisions. Look at a Robert Stevenson. We've been talking about this guy for five or six years, and he's still in triple-A, and when he's up here, he's getting hammered. They have to decide, do they move on from Robert Stevenson? Number one draft pick. And he's not done anything in the big leagues. Somebody made a wrong decision about him. And that happens. The Reds aren't alone in that. But the fact is, you can't, just because they're your number one pick, hang on to these guys indefinitely. And that seems to be what they're doing with Robert Stevenson. It's really interesting to look at it, Mark, because I, I've got to question a lot of the decisions that the Reds have made. For example, Wojciechowski, they DFA'd him a week ago. Now, they did get him back, and they sent him down to the minor leagues. He accepted the minor league demotion. Why? It, again, he pitched well out of the bullpen. They moving him, move him into the starting rotation where he has no business being, but they've got to put him there because of their starting pitching woes. 
he doesn't pitch well, and they send him to the minor leagues when he's shown that he can be an adequate relief pitcher for them. They've got several pitchers that they've done that with this year, Mark, and I've got a question just what it is that they're actually thinking. But I guess the, the question I need to ask you is, there are two guys I want to see the Reds get rid of. One, I don't want to see them get rid of in Zach Cozart, but I think he can bring back the biggest haul. The second guy, after watching him for for a while now, I, I, I do not see Devin Mezzarocco as part of this team. Don't see it. For To me, he, he is a terrible defensive catcher. Yeah, he may be a great hitter. He's a terrible defensive catcher. He has no arm. He's got no mobility behind the plate. He lets too many balls hit the glove and bounce out and go to the back of the to the backstop. I think if you could get rid of those two guys, Mark, could you get two starting pitchers back for those two guys? You'd better. No, I don't think not too not too solid starting pitching. You, you can get a couple starting pitchers, but Zach Cozart is going to be a rental player. You're not going to get a lot for him. I'd rather have the Reds keep Cozart and get a draft choice uh, because they would. And, you know, Zach Cozart could help somebody. Everybody says he's going to go to the Yankees. I don't know that he will, but, uh, you know, a, team, a competitive team could certainly pick Cozart up, uh, but you're not going to get a lot. For a three-month rental, you're going to give a first-round pick? No, you'll give a third- or fourth-round pick. And Devin Mezzarocco, i got to give him a little more slack. He hasn't played in two years, and I think he is going to help the Reds before it's over. But in terms of what this team can do, yeah, I think Mezzarocco can help them. I don't think that they're going to get a lot for Cozart. So why not keep Cozart? You know, I heard an interview with Ozzie Smith today. They asked him who he thought was the best shortstop in baseball right now. Who do you think he said? This will shock you. Well, you're... It did me. Uh... Now, no, it wasn't Francisco Lindor. I was surprised. He, he did mention Lindor. He said there's Lindor, there's Korea, but this other gentleman he thought was a better shortstop than all of them and is the most underrated baseball player in the game today. Well, I'll just tell you, Cozart. because you're, never, you're not going to get it. Brandon Who? Crawford at San Francisco. Yeah, you know, I can see that. I, I think he might be right. Crawford is underrated. I, every time I see him play, a guy does something great. And I he talk does. about attitude. That's a guy who's got attitude. Uh, of course, the Giants are playing crap right now, but uh, it's not his fault. <laughs> No, it's not. And and another thing that has been around the rumor mill of Major League Baseball here lately, Mark, is the fact that the Yankees are looking for a full-time first baseman. They got uh-huh. that short right field porch. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said all along I thought Joey Votto would be traded this year, um, and I think it would be a, to, to a contender that could afford him. And I've said Boston. But I'll tell you what, if the Yankees are interested in Votto, if they need a Joy Votto uh, at first base, uh, that just drives the price up because Boston will not let the Yankees get him without you know, making an offer the Reds can't refuse. So, the, you know, the Reds have lost. This will be the fourth consecutive year with Joey Votto, and I would hate to see Votto traded. I'm a big Joy Votto fan. And I think he, if he's given the opportunity, he's going to put up some numbers in a res uniform that won't be duplicated for, for decades. But 
if you're going to trade somebody, you're going to get something for Joey Votto. Uh, you're going to get, you know, first round pick quality, starting pitching, and the Reds have options at first base. Uh, you could put, uh, Adam Duvall, who's a very good infielder, by the way. Nope. You could put him at first base. You could put Shebler at first base. There's a nope. lot of guys you could put over first base. So, in, in terms of, is Votto available? I, I don't know, but I think the Reds could get a haul for him. I'll tell you who they need to put at first base. Forget Duvall. Forget Shebler. They trade Joey Votto. They move Devin Mesoraco to first base and just leave him alone. If you want to keep him in a Reds uniform, put him at first base and start Tucker Barnhart behind the plate, and it improves your defense. Yeah, I mean, there's something wrong with that that option. Uh, the point, Kevlahan can play first base and play it well. So there's a lot of options over at first base, and I would hate to see Joey go. But, man, imagine what that dude would do at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, he he, he, could, I think he, could he immediately tilts the power. He immediately tilts the power to whatever team gets him, Boston or New York in that Eastern Division. Well, I think ultimately you would tilt the power in, in, in the NL Central, too, because you're going to get back. I mean, you're talking about starting pitching. Uh, you're starting, you're talking about getting a first round pick, uh, a guy who's productive at double A AA or triple A right now, who's going to be a star. That's what you can get for a Joey Votto. And not only that, you're going to get good talent, but you're going to free up $25 million a year for the next seven years or six years, whatever that contract goes for. And that is as valuable to that team as anything. Imagine what they could do for an extra $20, $25 million a year. You know, another thing Ozzy Smith said today that I thought was extremely interesting was that he was always taught situational baseball. And he said the, the Major League Baseball players today do not understand situational baseball. In other words, what he said, what he meant was he comes up with a runner at third and less than two outs. He's looking at hitting the ball up the middle or a fly ball to the outfield to get that runner home. He's also looking at if he's got a runner at second base and less than two outs, he wants to advance him. Whether it advances him to third or advances him to home, it doesn't matter. He wants to advance him. He said nowadays baseball players, if they come up in those two situations, they're still swinging for the heels and trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And he said they either strike out, which he says the Major League Baseball strikeouts are too high and have been over the past three or four years, Players aren't looking to make contact, put the ball in play anymore. And he said, and they're just trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark because that what that's what gets them on the highlight films at night on ESPN. Agree or disagree? I agree. And I heard an interesting conversation just about that topic the other day. That you know the, the Reds when they signed their first round pick last week, uh, this kid's throwing 102 miles an hour, um, and he's 17 years old. Well, the interesting thing is that there was a tournament, I guess, in Cincinnati. I think Chris Welsh was the guy saying this. And he went down and looked at the tournament. And they had over, I guess it was a three-day tournament, they had nine or ten kids, 19, or 17, 18 years old, even 16 years old, throwing 93, 94, 95 miles an hour. And, and they're kids. <laughs> but the fact is the hitters are used to st- – seeing that kind of gas so you know a 17 year old kid rather than you know facing a high schooler from years ago that was throwing 78 or 82 miles an hour he's facing 95 so he's used to 
the, the, the fastball. And he's geared for the fastball. So they go up there swinging, trying to hit home runs because they have to swing hard because the pitching is so hard. You, it's hard to, to lay back and say, I'm going to take a ball to right field when the guy's throwing 98 miles an hour and he has a slider and he's 17 years old. I mean, it's, the game has changed so much since you and I played, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and, uh, it's just a completely different game with weightlifting and uh, the, the diets these kids are on and, and, the, and the programs they go through. So it, it's a completely different game. And I guess you can always talk in the back and say, geez, people didn't strike out that much before. Well, they didn't have, they didn't face, um, they didn't, they didn't face the, the idea of, uh, facing four pitchers throwing 98 miles an hour coming into a game, of course they're going to no, strike out. That's that's true. You're you're absolutely correct. Um, and when you look at these pitchers nowadays, they're all Tommy John surgeries waiting to happen. Yeah, and they're not waiting long. <laughs> these kids. I mean, no. I, I read a story. I read a story not long ago where a father, I think it was out in California, his son, he, his son, his arm was perfectly fine, but he was he was going to be drafted high, uh, I guess when he got to be now, and so they gave him Tommy John surgery when he didn't need it uh, to strengthen his arm even more. The kid picked up four or five miles per hour in his fastball because he had a thicker muscle down there in his elbow. I mean that's what we're getting to. I mean that, that's. It's an just amazing evolution of the game. And that's what you're talking about as far as what's the difference between Tommy John surgery and taking steroids. Yeah, I, I've said that for years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's just an amazing thing that's happened with uh, you know people over the years that uh, you know doctors have perfected a, a mechanism that makes a pitcher better. And, you know, the, you, if you've got a sore elbow, hell, I'll just get Tommy John and, and, and come back, and I'll be throwing five miles an hour faster, and my career will be even longer. Mark, let's look at the minor leagues. A couple of players that are making headlines for the Reds and the Indians this week. First of all, Federico Mejia. You may remember his name. He was the guy that was traded to Milwaukee for the Indians last year when they tried to get Jonathan Lucroy, and Lucroy right. turned the trade down. Yeah. Well, Mejia immediately went on a 52-game hitting streak after that trade was turned down. And now this year, at AAA, he's hitting, or excuse me, AA, he's hitting 350. He's got 13 homers and 60 RBIs. This kid is tearing up AA right now in the minor leagues. On the other hand, the Reds have... Their number one draft pick from a year ago, Nick Senzel, you don't get to see him in Dayton anymore, do you, Mark? Nope, he got moved up. and Which is a good move for him. He deserved it. The Reds moved him up into double-A ball, and we'll see how he handles that. But I don't think he's too far away from being a major league ball player. Yeah, and that's going to you know, create some interesting decisions the Reds have to make. I mean, this guy, number one draft pick, and I, I think he'll move to third. Uh, you know, the question is, what do you do with Suarez? And they actually had an article today on TV about him moving back to shortstop because they, you know, the, 
the supposition is that Cozart will not be there next year one way or the other, whether he's traded or just goes to free agency. So it's, it's you know, the Reds have some interesting decisions to make, and they've got a lot of talent in the minor leagues. The question is, how long is, you know, the kid they drafted uh, in his name, why is this escape me, the number one draft pick from last week, uh, um, 17 years old, number one pick. Anyway, uh, right. how soon they forget. Uh, it's going to be five years before he makes a contribution to this team, maybe four. But, you know, he'll even in four years, he's only 21 years old. You know, so it's going to be a long, long time before uh, the dividends of that draft uh, are seen at Great American Ballpark. Well, and you talked earlier about some of the players that you pick, they just don't make it. Some of the players that you pick do make it. And then there are the players that you had the opportunity to pick and didn't. It leads us to our birthday of the day. Mark, today's birthday is Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is 44 years old today. Do you remember back in 1992, I believe it was, that the Reds had the fifth pick in the draft? And everybody talked about back then, I remember this, you and I didn't know each other at the time, but I remember there was this kid out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, that everybody was talking about, the Reds, they wanted him badly. The first four picks went by the wayside. Derek Jeter fell into their lap. And who did the Reds pick? The third baseman who hit about 175. And that's a name you should forget. Chad Matola. Yep. Yep, he played 57 games in the major leagues. And nonetheless, Derek Jeter went to the New York Yankees. You know, they could have been erecting a statue for Derek Jeter instead of Pete Rose last week. Yes, but, you know, what would have happened had the Reds done that? Would you have moved him to second and played Barry Larkin at short or done the opposite, put Larkin at second and, and Jeter at short? That would have been an right. interesting decision to make. It, it would have been. You know, I would have think I would have thought, Mark, because of the seniority, they probably would have moved Jeter to second base and left Larkin at short until Larkin got a little older and then maybe flip-flopped them. Yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been a pretty interesting team to have. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't really blame an organization for that. It, it, you, these things are always a crapshoot. And Green, the kid I was thinking about, the Reds just drafted, uh, you know, he may be the next superstar. But, you know, the statistics say he won't be. The stats say this guy is not going to be even make it to the majors because the top ten picks, they, they sometimes make it, but they don't make it as a star, and that's why he was drafted. This kid is drafted number one by the Reds, number two in the overall draft, to be a star. That's why they got it. That's why they got him. And But the chances are he won't be. All the numbers say, just because of you know the luck of the draft, you you do the best you can with that, and uh, I don't hold the Reds accountable for that. I hold the Reds accountable for what they've done with the roster they have and what they've mismanaged over the last five years. We'll talk about a draft pick that somebody didn't miss on. Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers. He Now, he's the National League Player of the Week. Mark, he's got 23 homers in 58 games. He didn't even start out the year with the Dodgers. He came up about 13 games into the season. 
He's batting 370 over the week, hit five home runs. As I said, he's got 23 home runs on the year in 58 games. This kid came up because Adrian Gonzalez got hurt. He's played first base. You talk about a problem that they're going to have. Where are they going to put Bellinger when Gonzalez comes back? You know, he, he's got a swing. And I t- tell you who, I told you last week, he reminded me of somebody. And I hate to throw this on the guy. But he reminds me of Ted Williams. He's got that, it almost oh, like, looks boy. like a loop in his swing, but he, you know, it's not a loop, clearly. But he's, he's tall, he's lanky, he's got a beautiful swing, he doesn't, he does not lunge at the ball, and he's got that kind of vibe right now going. He had a home run the other night I saw on TV, and it finally dawned on me, it looked like a Ted Williams home run. <laughs> he's not Ted Williams. I, I, I don't want to put that pressure on the guy. But, you know, what a compliment to be looked at and said, gosh, it reminds me of Ted Williams. He he is quite the ball player to watch. But, I mean, what are the Dodgers going to do with this guy? They, they've got a nice outfield the way it sits. I, you know, maybe they trade Puig and get rid of that headache, but even Puig has been playing well this year. You know, they've got the center fielder, they've got the left fielder. Gonzalez comes back. Boy, what do you do with this guy after what he has done, and and they are so, Mark, this team is so cohesive. I really, really like this Dodger team to the point where I, I, I think they're they're really a dark horse to win it all. Well, I don't think they're a dark horse. I mean, I think they, that, that, that what I mean by that is nobody, believes, nobody thinks they've got a shot. Yeah, well, they're in first place. I mean, that's a pretty good shot. Uh, you know, I think that team, Top 25 on that team, that's as good a team as there is in baseball. I don't know a team that has, you know, more depth. They have a great bullpen. They had a bullpen the other night against the Reds. I mean, they were just fantastic. And they got great starting pitching, and they're hitting. Uh, there's not a weakness on that team. And that, that's a great problem to have when you have uh, yet to put Puig on the bench because you have too many good players. So I look for the Dodgers. That's not a mirage. I mean, that's a good team. Well, the Reds had their makeup game this afternoon with the Cardinals. What do they got coming up the rest of the week, Mark? Uh, they got Milwaukee coming up and then Chicago. And it's, um, you know, the Reds, uh, three weeks ago, there were only like two games out of first place. They're now eight games out of first place. They're not going anywhere, clearly. But, you know, this, this is not surprising. It's, it's been predicted by everybody that they're going to have a, um, you know, a pretty rough go of it this year. But at some point, they have to start winning. And to me, there's no way this team can keep Brian Price. There's no way. If you're going to turn the page after this year, uh, this guy, I feel sorry for him. He's taken the lumps caused by the front office. But you, you can't keep this manager. You got to bring in somebody new. Well, we'll talk about your thoughts on who that new manager will be next week. The Indians, on the other hand, they've got Texas coming up not only tonight, but then they've got them Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then they're going to Detroit for that four-game set this weekend. Boy, the Tigers have really fallen upon some hard times. But the Indians have them Friday, a Saturday doubleheader. That'll be a day-night doubleheader. And then they've got them Sunday afternoon as we head into the 4th of July weekend. Mark, got any plans for the 4th? Yeah, sit around and eat hot dogs and hot dogs. Boy, that sounds good to me. I think I'll do that, too. All right, we'll talk to you again next Monday night. 
All right, take care. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Don't forget, we'll be back with you again next Monday night, July 3rd at 9 o'clock to talk to you more about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week, have a good 4th of July, everybody. We'll see you on the 3rd. Good night.